Chapter Four, Part One of Glimpses of Italian Society in the Eighteenth Century by Hester Lynch Piozzi. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Venice. We went down the Brenta in a barge that brought us in eight hours to Venice, the first appearance of which revived all the ideas inspired by Canaletti, whose views of this town are most scrupulously exact those especially which one sees at the Queen of England's house in St. James's Park, to such a degree, indeed, that we knew all the famous towers, steeples, etc., before we reached them. St. Mark's Place, after all I had read and all I had heard of it, exceeded expectation. Such a cluster of excellence, such a constellation of artificial beauties, my mind had never ventured to excite the idea of within herself. So great is the devotion of the common people here to their titular saint, that when they cry out, as we do, hold England forever, they do not say, Viva Venezia, but Viva San Marco. And I doubt much if that was not once the way with us. In one of Shakespeare's plays, an expiring prince, being near to give up all for gone, is animated by his son in these words, Courage, father, cry, St. George. We had an opportunity of seeing his day celebrated with a very grand procession the other morning, April the 23rd, when a live boy personated the hero of the show but sat so still upon his painted courser that it was long before I perceived him to breathe. The streets were vastly crowded with spectators, that in every place make the principal part of the spectacle. It is odd that a custom which in contemplation seems so unlikely to please should, when put in practice, appear highly necessary and productive of an effect which can be obtained no other way. Were the houses in Parliament Street to hang damask curtains, worked carpets, pieces of various coloured silks with fringe or lace round them, out of every window when the King of England goes to the house, with numberless well-dressed ladies leaning out to see him pass, it would give one an idea of the continental towns upon a gala day. But our people would be apt to cry out, Monmouth Street, and look ashamed if their neighbours saw the same decker-work counterpane or crimson curtain produced at Easter, which made a figure at Christmas the December before, so that no end will be put to the expense in our country for such a fancy to take place. The rainy weather beside would spoil all our finery at once, and here, though it is still cold enough to be sure, and the women wear satins, yet still one shivers over a bad fire only because there is no place to walk and warm oneself, for I have not seen a drop of rain. The truth is, this town cannot be a wholesome one, for there is scarcely a possibility of taking exercise. Nor have I been once able to circulate my blood by motion since our arrival, except perhaps by climbing the beautiful tower which stands, as everything else does, in St. Mark's Place. And you may drive a garden chair up that, so easy is the ascent, so broad and luminous the way. From the top, is presented to one's sight the most striking of all prospects, 
water bounded by land, not land by water. The curious and elegant islets upon which and into which the piles of Venice are driven, exhibiting clusters of houses, churches, palaces, everything, started up in the midst of the sea, so as to excite amazement. It was upon the day appointed for making a new chancellor, however, that one ought to have looked at this lovely city, when every shop adorned with its own peculiar produce was disposed to hail the passage of its favourite in a manner so lively, so luxuriant, and at the same time so tasteful, there's no telling. Milliners crowned the new dignitary's picture with flowers, while columns of gauze, twisted round with ribbon in the most elegant style, supported the figure on each side, and made the prettiest appearance possible. The furrier formed his skins into representations of the animal they had once belonged to, so the lion was seen dandling the kid at one door, while the fox stood courting a badger out of his hole at the other. The poulterers and fruiterers were by many thought the most beautiful shops in town, from the variety of fancies displayed in the disposal of their goods. And I admired the truly Italian ingenuity of a gunsmith, who had found the art of turning his instruments of terror into objects of delight by his judicious manner of placing and arranging them. Every shop was illuminated with a large glass chandelier before it, besides the wax candles and coloured lamps interspersed among the ornaments within. The senators have much the appearance of our lawyers, going robed to Westminster Hall, but the gentlewomany, as they are called, wear red dresses, and remind me of the doctors of the ecclesiastical courts in doctors' commons. I have said nothing yet about the gondolas, which everybody knows are black, and give an air of melancholy at first sight, yet nothing less than sorrowful. It is like painting the lively Mrs. Chumley in the character of Milton's pensive nun, devout and pure, sober, steadfast and demure, as I once saw her drawn by a famous hand, to show a Venetian lady in her gondola in Zendaletto, which is black, like the gondola, but wholly calculated like that for the purposes of refined gallantry. So is the nightly rendezvous, the coffee-house and casino. For whilst Palladio's palaces serve to adorn the Grand Canal and strike those who enter Venice with surprise at its magnificence, those snug retreats are intended for the relaxation of those who inhabit the more splendid apartments and are fatigued with exertions of dignity and necessity of no small expense. We have been told much of the suspicious temper of Venetian laws, and have heard often that every discourse is suffered except such as tends to political conversation in this city, and that whatever nobleman, native of Venice, is seen speaking familiarly with a foreign minister, runs a risk of punishment too terrible to be thought on. How far that manner of proceeding may be wise or just, I know not. Certain it is that they have preserved their laws inviolate, their city unattempted, and their republic respectable, through all the concussions that have shaken the rest of Europe. Surrounded by envious powers, it becomes them to be vigilant, 
conscious of the value of their unconquered state, it is no wonder that they love her. And surely the true Amor Patriae never glowed more warmly in old Roman bosoms than in theirs, who draw, as many families here do, their pedigree from the consuls of the Commonwealth. Love without jealousy is seldom to be met with, especially in these warm climates. Let us then permit them to be jealous of a constitution which all the other states of Italy look on with envy not unmixed with malice, and propagate strange stories to its disadvantage. That suspicion should be concealed under the mask of gaiety is neither very new nor very strange. The reign of our Charles II was equally famous for plots, perjuries and cruel chastisements as for wanton levity and indecent frolics. But here at Venice there are no unpermitted frolics. Her rulers love to see her gay and cheerful. They are the fathers of their country and if they indulge, take care not to spoil her. With regard to common chat, I have heard many a liberal and eloquent disquisition upon the state of Europe in general, and on Venice in particular from several agreeable friends at their own casino, who did not appear to have more fears upon them than myself, and I know not why they should. Chevalier Amo is deservedly a favourite with them, and we used to talk whole evenings of him and of General Elliot, the bombarding of Tunis and the defence of Gibraltar. The newspapers spoke of some fireworks exhibited in England in honour of their hero. They were vraiment feu de joie, said an agreeable Venetian. They were not feu d'artifice. Whoever sees Sir Mark's place lighted up of an evening, adorned with every excellence of human art and pregnant with pleasure, expressed by intelligent countenances sparkling with every grace of nature, the sea washing its walls, the moonbeams dancing on its subjugated waves, sport and laughter resounding from the coffee-houses, girls with guitars skipping about the square, masks and merrymakers singing as they pass you, unless a bite with a band of music is heard at some distance upon the water, and cause attention to sounds made sweeter by the element over which they are brought, whoever is led suddenly, I say, to this scene of seemingly perennial gaiety, will be apt to cry out of Venice, as Eve says to Adam in Milton, With thee conversing I forget all time, all seasons and their change, all please alike. For it is sure there are in this town many astonishing privations of all that are used to make other places delightful, and as poor Omai, the savage, said when about to return to utter height, no horse there, no ass, no cow, no golden pippins, no dish of tea. Ah, Missy, I go without everything. I always so content there, though. It is really just so one lives at this lovely Venice. One has heard of a horse being exhibited for a show there, and yesterday I watched the poor people paying a penny apiece for the sight of a stuffed one, and am more than persuaded of the truth of what I am told here, that numberless inhabitants live and die in this great capital, nor ever find out or think of inquiring how the milk brought from terra firma is originally produced. 
The view of Venice from the Zuecca, a word contracted from Judecca, as I'm told, would invite one never more to stray from it, farther at least than to St. George's Church, or on another little opposite island, whence the prospect is surely wonderful. It is to this church I was sent for the purpose of seeing a famous picture painted by Paul Veronese of the marriage at Cana in Galilee. When we arrived, the picture was kept in a refectory belonging to friars, of what order I have forgotten, and no woman could be admitted. My disappointment was so great that I was deprived even of the powers of solicitation by the extreme ill-humour it occasioned and my few entreaties for admission were completely disregarded by the good old monk who remained outside with me while the gentleman visited the convent without molestation at my return to venice i met little comfort as everybody told me it was my own fault as i might put on men's clothes and see it whenever i pleased as nobody then would stop though perhaps all of them would know me but it is almost time to talk of the rialto said to be the finest single arch in Europe. And I suppose it is so. Very beautiful, too, when looked on from the water, but so dirtily kept and deformed with mean shops that passing over it, disgust gets the better of every other sensation. The truth is, our dear Venetians are nothing less than cleanly. St. Mark's Place is all covered over in the morning with chicken coops which stink one to death. So nobody, I believe, ever thinks of changing their baskets. And all about the ducal palace is made so very offensive by the resort of human creatures, for every purpose most unworthy of so charming a place, that all enjoyment of its beauties is rendered difficult to a person of any delicacy, and poisoned so provokingly, that I do never cease to wonder that so little police and proper regulation are established in a city so particularly lovely to render her sweet and wholesome i have asked several friends about the truth of what one has been always hearing of in england that the venetian gondoliers sing tasso's and ariosto's verses in the streets at night sometimes quarrelling with each other concerning the merits of their favourite poets but what I have been told since I came here of their attachment to their respective masters and secrecy when trusted by them in love affairs seems far more probable, as they are proud to excess when they serve a nobleman of high birth and will tell you with an air of importance that the house of Memo, Monginigo or Gerajarola has been served by their ancestors for these eighty or perhaps a hundred years transmitting family pride thus from generation to generation, even when that pride is but reflected only like the mock rainbow of a summer sky. But hark, while I am writing this peevish reflection in my room, I hear some voices under my window answering each other upon the Grand Canal. It is, it is, the gondolieri, sure enough, and they are at this moment singing to an odd sort of tune, but in no unmusical manner, the flight of Erminia from Tasso's Jerusalem. Apropos to singing, we were this evening carried to a well-known conservatory called the Mendicanti, who performed an oratorio in the church with great, and I dare say deserved, applause. 
it was difficult for me to persuade myself that all the performers were women till watching carefully our eyes convinced us as they were but slightly grated the sight of girls however handling the double bass and blowing into the bassoon did not much please me and the deep-toned voice of her who sung the part of saul seemed an odd unnatural thing enough what i found most curious and pretty was to hear latin verses of the old leonine race broken into eight and six and sung in rhyme by these women as if they were heirs of metastasio all in their dulcified pronunciation too for the patois runs equally through every language when spoken by a venetian well these pretty sirens were delighted to seize upon us and pressed our visit to their parlour with a sweetness that i know not who would have resisted we had no such intent and amply did their performance repay my curiosity for visiting venetian beauties so justly celebrated for their seducing manners and softer dress they accompanied their voices with the forte piano and sung a thousand buffo songs with all that gay voluptuousness for which their country is renowned the state of music in italy if one may believe those who ought to know it best is not what it was the manner of singing is much changed i am told and some affectations have been suffered to encroach upon their natural graces among the persons who exhibited their talents at the countess of rosenberg's last week our countrywoman's performance was most applauded but when i name lady clarges no one will wonder it is said that painting is now but little cultivated among them rome will however be the place for such inquiries angelica kaufmann being settled there seems a proof of their taste for living merit and if one thing more than another evinces italian candour and true good nature it is perhaps their generous willingness to be ever happy in acknowledging foreign excellence and their delight in bringing forward the eminent qualities of every other nation never insolently vaunting or bragging of their own unlike to this is the national spirit and confined ideas of perfection inherent in a gallic mind whose sole politeness is an appliqué stuck upon the coat but never embroidered into it among the noble senators of venice meantime many good scholars many belles lettres converses and what is more valuable many thinking men may be found and found hourly who employ their powers wholly in care for the state and make their pleasure like true patriots out of her felicity the ladies indeed appear to study but one science quote, and where the lesson taught is but to please can pleasure seem a fault unquote. like all sensualists however they fail of the end proposed from hurry to obtain it and consume those charms which alone can procure them continuance or change of admirers they injure their health too irreparably and that in their earliest youth for few remain unmarried till fifteen and at thirty have a wan and faded look on ne goûte pas ces plaisirs si on les avale 
they do not taste their pleasures here they swallow them whole said madame la presidente yesterday very judiciously to try venetian dames by english rules would be worse than all the tyranny complained of when some east indian was condemned upon the coventry act for slitting his wife's nose a common practice in his country and perfectly agreeable to custom and the usage du pays here is no struggle for female education as with us no resources in study no duties of family management no bill of fare to be looked over in the morning no account book to be settled at noon no necessity of reading to supply without disgrace the evening's chat no laughing at the card table or twittering in the corner if a lapsus lingui has produced a mistake which malice never fails to record a lady in italy is sure of applause so she takes little pains to obtain it a venetian lady has in particular so sweet a manner naturally that she really charms without any settled intent to do so merely from that irresistible good humour and mellifluous tone of voice which seize the soul and detain it in despite of juno-like majesty or minerva-like wit nor ever was there prince or shepherd paris i think was both who would not have bestowed his apple here meanwhile my countryman howell laments that the women at venice are so little but why so the diminutive progeny of vulcan the kabirs mysteriously adored of old were of a size below that of the least living woman if we believe herodotus and they were worshipped with more constant as well as more fervent devotion than the symmetrical goddess of beauty herself a custom which prevails here of wearing little or no rouge and increasing the native paleness of their skins by scarce lightly wiping the very white powder from their faces is a method no frenchwoman of quality would like to adopt yet surely the venetians are not behindhand in the art of gaining admirers and they do not like their painters depend upon colouring to ensure it nothing can be a greater proof of the little consequence which dress gives to a woman than the reflection one must make on a venetian lady's mode of appearance in her zendalette without which nobody stirs out of the house in a morning it consists of a full black silk petticoat sloped just to train a very little on the ground and flounced with gauze of the same colour a skeleton wire upon the head such as we use to make up hats throwing loosely over it a large piece of black mode or persian so as to shade the face like a curtain the front being trimmed with a very deep black lace or souffle gauze infinitely becoming the thin silk that remains to be disposed of they roll back so as to discover the bosom fastening it with a puff before at the top of their stomacher and once more rolling it back from the shape tie it gracefully behind and let it hang in two long ends the evening ornament is a silk hat shaped like a man's and of the same colour with a white or work lining at most and sometimes one feather a great black silk cloak lined with white and perhaps a narrow border down below with a vast heavy round handkerchief of black lace which 
lies over the neck and shoulders, and conceals shape and all completely. Here is surely little appearance of art, no creping or frizzing the hair, which is flat at the top and all of one length, hanging in long curls about the back or sides, as it happens. No brown powder and no rouge at all. Thus, without variety, does a Venetian lady contrive to delight the eye, and without much instruction, too, to charm the ear. A source of thought barely cut off beside in giving her no room to show taste in dress or invent new fancies in disposition of ornaments for tomorrow. The government takes all that trouble off her hands, knows every pin she wears, and where to find her at any moment of the day or night. Meantime, nothing conveys to a British observer a stronger emotion of loose, living and licentious dissoluteness than the sight of one's servants, gondoliers and other attendants on the scenes and circles of pleasure, where you find them, they never drunk, dead with sleep upon the stairs, or in their boats, or in the open street for that matter, like overswilled voters at an election in England. One may trample on them if one will, they hardly can be awakened, and their companions who have more life left in them set the others literally on their feet to make them capable of obeying their master's or lady's call. With all this appearance of levity, however, there is an unremitted attention to the affairs of state, nor is any senator seen to come late or negligently to council next day, however he may have amused himself all night. End of chapter 4, part 1